Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. We are back in Melbourne and thank you so much for everyone who came up to our London meetup and supported Cloud Security Podcast, took pictures with us. So thank you so much for doing that. We have a few more trips coming up over the next couple of months. So we would definitely see you in San Fran and Boston before July. So for folks who are coming in, definitely keep an eye out on our LinkedIn page for that. But today we are talking about Kubernetes security best practices in 2022. Yes, for some of you who may have been following us for a while, you would have heard Kelsey Hightower from Google Cloud talk about Kubernetes security last year. And this year we're giving a 2022 edition. We have a colleague of Kelsey Hightower, Ian Lewis from Google Cloud, who's talking about Kubernetes security, the different components that go into it, how different it is to container security, especially if you are someone who's running a self-hosted Kubernetes versus a managed Kubernetes. Why is it a good idea to go for a managed Kubernetes security? And we spoke about GKE, GKE Autopilot for people who may be from that space as well. So a lot more packed information and a lot more updated information on what Kubernetes security looks like in 2022, including whether you should think about Envoy, Istio, and all these other third-party components. Well, technically not third-party, but kind of related components of Kubernetes that people talk about. Whether you do you really need them? So, and all that and a lot more. If you know someone who is looking for information on Kubernetes security or wants to learn something about the space, I would definitely encourage you to share this with them. And while you're there, ask them to drop us a review or rating. If you haven't done one as well, please drop us a review or rating. It definitely helps us find more audiences that we can help. It also spreads the word, helps us quite a bit. So if you can do that, that would be pretty awesome. And I would definitely give you a hug for that. I hope you also find this episode helpful and I will talk to you tomorrow as we are coming back tomorrow because we missed out an episode due to our flight mishap. We have Or Azarzar coming next actually tomorrow. So I'll talk to you tomorrow for the next episode, which was a missed out episode for people who were on the live stream. Stay safe. I will talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Supply chain attacks and other application exploits are growing faster than ever. A big reason is because vulnerable CI/CD systems, service accounts, and microservices don't have an identity. No identity means no authentication and authorization when these services are used to maximize the blast radius of an attack. That's why Teleport created Machine ID. Machine ID delivers identity-based access and audit for infrastructure resources like servers and databases, CI/CD automation, service accounts, and custom code in applications such as microservices. By consolidating identity-based credentials for engineers and the application they write, Teleport closes the identity loophole that enables compromised infrastructure and code to be used in cyber attacks. Visit us at goteleport.com. For people who may not know you, Ian, what was your journey into your current role? Yeah, sure. So I'm a, currently a developer advocate for Google Cloud, and I'm actually based here in Tokyo. So both of us are kind of at the moment, but I started out, I'm from the U.S. originally, and I started out by going to college and for computer science and then did some work at some enterprise companies for early on. And then this was like in the Washington, D.C. area. And so I kind of decided to do something else, kind of didn't want to go through the whole kind of you know, security, get a security clearance and do like government contracting kind of thing in DC. So, you know, and I had a kind of hobby of like learning Japanese and I, I thought that going to Japan would be kind of fun to do. And so I decided to do that. And then from there, I kind of started branching out doing a little bit more like kind of community type of stuff. So I got involved with the local kind of Python developers, started to help 
build that community there. So we started like the Python JP conference and started kind of really gelling that community. And as I was doing that, like I kind of then, you know, got involved early in like when App Engine got released. So like that was early on, like kind of a serverless product that supported Python. And so being a Python person, I was kind of involved early in like kind of working with people who are Python wanting to learn App Engine and were learning Python for the first time and, you know, things like that because like they wanted to use App Engine, but App Engine only supported Python at that, at that point. And so like did a lot of that sort of thing. That's sort of how I got started in cloud. And then I kind of became more involved with like Google related tech. And then as Google cloud became a big thing, became involved in that. And so I got tapped on the shoulder at, at one point to be uh, to join the GA team at Google cloud. That's awesome. And maybe that's a good segue to the technology that was kind of given by Google to the world as well, Kubernetes, I guess. So from uh, people who may not know what Kubernetes is and may have just recently gotten introduced to cloud native, how do you describe Kubernetes to someone? Right. So like there's, there's a couple of things that you probably have to talk about when you talk about Kubernetes. Like first is containers, right? Like I think that Sometimes people are, when they're encountering Kubernetes, they're encountering containers themselves, like for the first time. And, you know, it's, it's helpful to describe containers and what they are, uh, first, right. And like, you know, containers are a way, right. To package and run application and you kind of make use of your operating system features to give the application a kind of virtual environment. And this isn't using like virtualization, like you would say, like a VM, like virtual is a little bit overloaded, but this is a way of running the application so that it doesn't really see the other applications. It thinks it's the only thing that's running in that environment. And so it doesn't have like affect other applications. And so right. that's kind of the, the main thing. You can set up a very specific environment for that application to run in, um, that runs similarly, no matter which app, which machine you're going to run it on. Oh, and then, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Finish, sorry. And then I was going to move on to talking about Kubernetes, but yeah, Kubernetes is a way of like essentially orchestrating those containers across a bunch of different machines. Right. So like, as you start wanting to build like web servers and, you know, services that scale, you want to be able to run that, that application on multiple machines and Kubernetes gives you a lot of ways of making sure that the application is running how many instant, like making sure that the number of instances you want to run are running across the cluster, setting up the networking so that they can talk to each other and, you know, doing other types of automation, like auto scaling those applications, you know, making sure that they restart when they crash and things like that. So with the entire, so would it be, I don't want to use the word container orchestration management, but would that be kind of like a high, very, very high level of saying what it does? Right. Exactly. So like, that's the word that focus folks use to talk about the things that I, or to describe the things that I, that I mentioned, right? Like is orchestration, right? You orchestrate all of what the containers are doing. Like the word orchestration doesn't really describe exactly what happens, but it kind yeah. of gives you a good idea of like. You know, Kubernetes is this orchestrator or uh, that's controlling all of the containers in your cluster, right? Herding cats is another way that people describe it, right? Yeah. And oh, actually herding cats is a good example as well. And I, I think the reason I kind of use that container orchestration thing is also because a lot of the times, and maybe some of the listeners who may be listening, it's easy to kind of think that Kubernetes security is probably similar to container security. And kind of mm -hmm. you mentioned that container is just one component of it as well. 
but are they quite similar in terms of how you would approach security for the two? Right. Yeah. Like there's, they're similar, but there are different kind of levels, right. Of how you would approach security for something like Kubernetes. Cause Kubernetes is like multiple levels, right? Like you can definitely think about the container itself and the security of the container itself, and then start like going up the stack from there. Like, you know, thinking about the networking, thinking about like the Kubernetes API server and all of the Kubernetes components that go into it. So, you know, for container security, you can think of like, there's a lot of different types of attack services, like what people would call attack services. So like, you know, the container boundary itself. So like trying to make sure that if an application gets compromised or there's some malware that in there, like that the malware is enabled to escape the container and go and deal like hit other or affect other applications running on the same host. And then ideally it can't jump from one host to another using some sort of other vulnerability, but yep. that's another boundary, right? And then there's obviously the attack service of the container uh, of Kubernetes itself. So like using the API server to, you know, move to another host or to, you know, do something there that it shouldn't be doing normally. Right. And Okay, and because there's there's a lot more moving parts as well to Kubernetes and it's just container. Right, exactly. There's a lot of different pieces, right? Like you can attack the Kubernetes API server. You can try to break out of the container and then use the, for example, like use the kubelets, the 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 agent that's running on that that particular machine to manage containers on that particular machine. Yeah. It also talks to the API server and has some credentials, and so you can think about like. An attacker would try to take those credentials and then use its its access that it gets to the API server to try to get the API server to do something that you don't really want it to do normally. All right. So I guess some of our listeners listeners may be interested also in one other aspect because some of them work for consulting companies and they obviously mm -hmm. are always asked the question of how do you even start doing security for Kubernetes, right? So maybe what are some of the components of security that they should look at from a Kubernetes perspective and they talk to people who may have been doing it for the first time, how do you even describe where to start security? Because I, I think there's a there's almost like two personas that you have to explain it to. One is the platform people who would be helping create the, or deploy the Kubernetes, but then the other side is the security people themselves. And how, how does one, like maybe a good place to start is what is the security components of Kubernetes that people should consider? And then you can go into a bit more into detail of it, but what sure. Thing? I mean, I, I can talk about a couple of things. Like, I mean, first, I think you would want to kind of understand like what containers are, right? Like, if you're kind of getting started in the space or trying to understand Kubernetes security and kind of wrap your hand around it, like you kind of first need to understand what containers are and like what the kind of uh, issues are with regard to just containers or that technology, right? And we mentioned a couple of them, you know, that's kind of where you, you would start. And then you can kind of go to understanding Kubernetes itself. Like what are the different components of it, right? Like there's a few major components, right? Like you have the API server, which is the normal thing that you normally, what you interact with when you're talking to a cluster. Um, and then there's other components like the XAD server, which is where it's the data is the state data is stored. There is the controller manager and the scheduler, which are also components that use the API server and are not normally used. They're kind of background components, but they're, 
they're there at least and can be potential attack vectors. So you kind of need to be aware of them if you think about security. And then another major one is the the kubelet that runs on each host, right? And that's that's what's controlling the each host and is talking to the API server to understand like which things it needs to run on each on that on its particular host that it's running. And so once you understand those kind of components, then you can start thinking about like, you know, what type of what type of attacks could happen. But you know, there's there's kind of a number of things that Kubernetes itself gives you uh, as features that you can think of as maybe components that will help you. Things like the security context, which is what it's used, what is is part of the API that you use to uh, set different security settings for a particular running application. So things like making the, you can make the, the root file system of your container, like read only so that you, uh, an attacker can't like overwrite something in the container. You can do things like set, you know, set comp or these, you know, like app armor or SE Linux type of policies on your container to like help harden it. So there's a number of different settings for the container itself there. And then there's other things like network policy, which is kind of a little bit of an add-on to Kubernetes, but that's another kind of core API that's part of Kubernetes that allows you to help kind of, you know, manage the attack surface uh, at the network level. Oh, okay. And I, I like, I like the, how I like it, how you approach it with the layers as well, like the network component, the host component, uh, I'm using the runtime component as well. That's where your etcd kind of coming comes in. I think, or uh, the interesting part over here for me is then because there seems to be multiple kinds of deployment of kubernetes as well there are people who are like say it could be using yeah. gke the google cloud version exactly but yeah. i may be a purist and i decide i'm just going to build kubernetes from scratch right so would this change between them or is, does it become easier if you want to go to GKE kind of space? I think it probably is a little bit easier if you're using managed service. Like I think that most people like who are security professionals, like recommend that people use managed service because like the people who are developing the managed service know Kubernetes like pretty well, right? Like yeah. they, like, like at Google, like we invented it essentially. So it's like, we know it very well. Like we have lots and lots of developers who are actually working on it like the core Kubernetes, like actually developing it. We have lots of people who are very well versed in it. And so we build a product that is like, you know, has a lot of the security stuff built in. Like you don't really have to think about it as much. Right. For example, the API server is completely segmented from you. So like you don't have access to any of the real components that you might have to think about and secure things like exity, things like the scheduler, things like that, that those are things that like you wouldn't normal, you don't have access to. And so they're not things that you have to manage or secure at all yourself. But if you're running your own server, you definitely need to think about that, right? Like many folks, when they run their own server, they run an API, like they run a Kubelet on their API server, for example, and then use that to run the Kubernetes components. So it's a little bit of a meta type of thing, but that means that you can kind of see the components in the Kubernetes API server. And if you somehow get control of the API server, you can then take control of or affect the things that are actually running Kubernetes itself. So XED yeah. or, you know, or the, the scheduler or things like that and do things like if you were somehow able to affect the scheduler or you know, change the scheduler in some way, you could get it to 
for example, schedule a pod, a specific type of pod onto another host that you don't have access to yet, mm -hmm. like, and then allow it to run your malicious code there and then essentially escape or escalate onto another host, for example. So like, those are types of things you definitely need to start thinking about if you're like, especially if you're running Kubernetes yourself, like you want to, you have to think much more about the actual Kubernetes components. Right. And I think it's a pretty good one for people who maybe think you're deploying it, or maybe just curious about how someone deploys Kubernetes as well. To your mm -hmm. point, the whole, it is recommended to go down the managed path rather than the unmanaged and self-hosted path, because then you kind exactly. of have a lot more moving parts for security as well. Right. Right. That, that's exactly right. Right. Like, and you have a lot more tools as part of the, the platform usually, right? Like if you're on AWS or you're on GCP or you're on whatever like platform you happen to be on, right. There's a lot of tools like the IAM, right. Like the, the, the VPC networking features, right. Like yeah. all of those features, like will help you to kind of secure your cluster that you may not have, right. If you're running it on-prem or on your own machines. Yeah. Um, but then you have you're starting from scratch. If you do it self-hosted, you kind of have to build the network. Exactly. How do you do identity? How do you do even to your point network security, host security, kind of just like the, the Pandora's box is open at that point in time. You just basically right. try to shut it down. Yeah. Like how do you, like, if you're going to use like another, like if you're on-prem and you want to use a cloud service, for example, right? Like you've got to give it some sort of like a, let's say like a service account key or something like that, or an API token or something that you have to put in your container in order to give it access to that, that server. And a lot of times those are long lived tokens or tokens that don't refresh or anything like that. And so if they get yeah. stolen, your, your access, like the, the, the folks who stole it have access to that API for, and so, you know, there's some features like as part of GKE, like for example, like workload identity, which allows you to get like kind of much more short-lived tokens uh, yeah. that you can use for accessing GCP APIs, for example, right? And so those type of features don't really exist or are, are very hard to replicate outside of, you know, a cloud platform or a hosted environment. Yeah, unless you have like a hundred plus team just waiting just to deploy all these. Yeah, you can layers. you can definitely set it up, and there are there are components like if you're if you're gonna set up Spiffy and all of those kind of identity components, and you can get it working in the right way, you can do that yep. sort of thing. Yep. But and it's it's very involved to get that done. Yeah, and I, it's that's why maybe it's interesting also to point out because I think uh, in the CNCF realm, Kubernetes is still the at least based on the based on the reports that I've read, it's still the most active project as well. One of the most active projects, but it's also more, one of the most confusing projects as well, because there is a whole managed component and then there is a whole self-hosted component as well. And I think if you start adding layers like service mesh and all the other things, Istio and all that other thing that kind of comes in, like, oh, maybe another part of the whole security thing is when someone is deploying a Kubernetes cluster, oh, oh, do they need all these other components like Istio and all the other stuff that we get people talk about? Do they need OPA? Do they need Istio? Or maybe are we better off answering the security thing first and then kind of go into some of this? Yeah, I, I think that that's like Istio and OPA are definitely things to, to look at and consider, right? Like they're, but I think that they're not necessarily the first thing that you would consider. So definitely like when you are operating a Kubernetes, like Kubernetes at scale at a larger, much larger scale, you definitely want to be thinking about these particular features. 
or these particular things. Like, but there's a there's a fairly large trade-off between like the overhead of running these and operating them um, on top of you know for the cost when you're doing a cost benefit analysis, for example. So like you know there's a lot of overhead that you have to do to manage them, but you'll you'll get these benefits, but you have this like kind of large cost, right? So if you're operating at scale, that benefit is much bigger for you. And yeah. so the, it kind of balances out the cost. But if you're operating on a much smaller scale, the benefit is much less and but you still have a fairly high management cost. And so it doesn't really balance out quite as well in that case. But that said, like from a security standpoint, you do get a lot, right? Like Istio gives you identity, it gives you management over your services and observability of services at things yep. at, a, at a service level, right? Like you can say like this service talks to this service and this service talks to this service. And you can kind of see that like kind of graph of the services and how they talk to each other. You can see like, you can set up policy for like which services can talk to which services and yep. you can, they get strong identity, like essentially, you know, kind of cryptographic identity so that they can't impersonate each other, for example. Um, and, you know, kind of get around that policy that you set up. So that's a, that's one of the kind of major things that Istio gives you. But like, if you're running like one or two services, it's not going to give you like a huge advantage. Whereas if you're running hundreds of services or something like that, you're going to get a huge advantage by using it. And so the same thing kind of goes for, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I'll, I'll just I'll let you finish. Cause I was just going to ask. A no, I, I'm, I, I was kind of mostly finished there about OPA, or, but I was going to go talk about OPA, I guess, but. Yeah, yeah, I just watch while calling out because I think uh, where maybe uh, I was going to get into the OPA space as well, but maybe where where my question was going to kind of land on was with Kubernetes. To your point about different mm -hmm. components, I think one thing to call out for people who may be listening in is that you don't need Istio to begin with. You don't need OPA to begin with unless right, you're exactly. talking about large scale deployments. Like if you have one project on Kubernetes cluster, probably it's an overkill to go for OPA, Istio and everything else. Would that be right? Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what I'm kind of trying to uh, hint at. I think is that like, you know, if you're operating at a fairly small scale, you're running a couple of services. You know, you're not really going to get huge benefit out of it, but you will as you kind of get to managing large services. And if you're kind of as you start, you know, running hundreds of services or like ten, like you know, upwards of a hundred services or something, you're going to yeah. really get a lot more benefit out in that case. And probably have a dedicated team for that managing that as well, because that's yeah. a full-time job in itself. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say about like OPA is that like, it's, it's something that like you set up policy, like the OPA is essentially a thing that allows you to set up policy. Like, so that like when you deploy an application, OPA yeah. will check that application and make sure that it's got it's the security context and the security features set up um, yeah. before it allows it to be deployed. And so OPA is another thing that gives you a lot of benefit as you scale yeah. up and you have a lot more team members. So like it makes sure that everybody's on the same page, everybody's deploying services that have the baseline security features set up, but you're not going to get a lot of advantage out of that if you're just doing it yourself, like by yourself, right? Like you can kind of essentially police your own your, yourself when you're doing that. But yeah. if you're if you've got like a team of like 200 people, you can't be like policing everybody or like you know, checking to making sure like everybody's got, you know, their security features and stuff set up. You want to be able to put like a little bit of a gate 
gatekeeping aspect to it before you deploy to production. And that's what Oppo gives you. So that's like, once you start getting to a large team where it's hard to manage that, that's when yeah. kind of Oppo gives you the value, but it doesn't really give you the value when you're like a really small team, if that makes sense. That's maybe that's a good segue into thinking more about when it's an individual starting to I don't know, kick, kick the tires of Kubernetes security. What would be say Kubernetes security one-on-one that they should be looking at to start off with? Maybe, because uh, we kind of spoke about earlier, we have different components. Container is just one component of it. And all these other API server and everything else, HCD, and everything else that goes into it. So maybe a good start to level the playing field for people uh, who may be thinking, listening to you going, hey, Ian said it the right way. I feel like I want to start Kubernetes, or at least give it a shot. What are some of the low-hanging fruits that they can go for in the beginning of their Kubernetes, first Kubernetes project? Yeah, so like kind of the first thing is you might do, I mean, this is, let's let's say that like you've kind of researched containers, you kind of know the what containers are and things like that. You kind of know, you know, the basics about like the Kubernetes uh, API, like what sort of thing it's, or how it works and how the different components in Kubernetes work. Then you can start thinking about like, you know, the most, the biggest low hanging fruit is really just checking out like what the container itself, like the, the security context features. So if you look at the security context API and you can like look at the reference API or the API reference, like online, right? Like the Kubernetes API reference has like a little section on the security context and all of the, the fields that you can put in there. And so that's a good place to start, like just to look there and see what like sort of features are, and some of the ones that I tell folks to turn on, you know, like first is to, you know, try to run your, your containers with a root file system that's read only, for example, that's, that's one, one of the features that's relatively easy to set up. Most containers aren't like overwriting stuff on disk everywhere, like all over the disk, right? So it usually they have like one directory they need to write data to, or they use, they use like a temporary directory to like write some temporary files to but like they don't need access to write to the whole entire like file system. And so you can set up mount points for your the places you need to write to and then make the rest read only so that it doesn't get overwritten by malware or other things. That's one uh, thing that's relatively easy to set up. Another thing that is good to look into is to try to make your, your containers or as a best practice is to like try to make your containers run as non-root. So mo most containers run as root, a root user inside the container, right? And so what that does is like gives you a lot of flexibility because like and it makes your containers run, you know, have access to most things inside the container. And so you can do things like install packages and stuff like that, which is nice. But if somebody takes control of your container or there's some malware running in it, it can, it essentially has access to the entire container itself. And then if it breaks out of the container, it can much e more easily take over the host than if it was running as a as a normal you know Unix user. And so adding that in gives you like puts in like a pretty large hurdle for an attacker to have to get over before it can start taking over the whole host or escape the container. It makes it a lot harder for the host uh, or for that for that attacker to uh, to do that. And so that's another thing that's like really a good is doing that. That said, most containers that you're going to get, or most images that you're going to get from like Docker Hub, et cetera, are going to run as root. And so 
you can't like you necessarily do like for most of those images, you'll have to do some setting that up yourself or build the images yourself a lot of times. Some of the ones like the database ones do a decent, like the, the official ones, like like the Redis one, for example, or I think the MySQL one maybe does as well, like run as a MySQL user or a Redis user. And so those are, that's getting better over time. Still, most of them are running as root. I think those are the two kind of like really things that you can do that are fairly easy and will give you the most bang for the buck. Another thing to look at is like network policy. Like if you have a Kubernetes cluster that is set up in a way that has a network policy, the feature enabled, it if you're running it on by yourself, like that's not necessarily something you're going to get right away. If you're using, say, like Calico for your your network your network plugin or your network to set up your network, that will support network policy. But you need to make sure that your network uh, your network plugin or your your CNI implementation supports uh, network policy. But network policy is another good one that allows you to set up uh, kind of blocking like to block network access between containers that don't necessarily need to talk to each other normally. And that can make it easy for, or harder for attackers to kind of probe your, your cluster and like figure out how to move from place to place. And generally you can set that up without too much of a hassle or without like changing your application itself. Um, So maybe. Another way to, I guess, another component that I want to cover, because I think that those are good points. And I think people do need to be a bit more technical for this as well, right? So it, it's worthwhile calling out that if you are starting off doing Kubernetes and you someone would hear Ian going, yeah, talk about container, host security and all that. There is a, what's it called? There's a technical component to it as well. But I think, is it hard to find information about this? Is that why not a lot of people know about it? Or it's not documented? Or is there like a source where people can go to for these foundational pieces? Yeah, I, I think that like the problem there is that like there's not really a single place for all of the Kubernetes security related stuff, right? Like there's like information about the security context. There's information about like network policy. There's information about like these different aspects of security, but there's not really like a one-stop shop for that online, I would say. Definitely some of the things you might want to check out are some of the books that that have been written on it. So like there's a lot of colleagues out there. Liz Rice is a very good resource for Kubernetes security related information. So like some of the books that she's written, one is called Container Security. I have it written down here actually, like fundamentals, technology concepts that protect containerized applications. But there's a, you know, if you search for like Kubernetes, like container security book, right? Or you'll find it. And this is by Liz Rice. It's a, you know, a good resource. There's another book called Hacking Kubernetes, which is more of a Kubernetes focus. Um, yep. And that's by uh, Andrew Martin and Michael Hasenblas. And Andrew is another really good resource for this type of Kubernetes security related content. And then there's a Kubernetes security book uh, that's also written by uh, Liz Rice and Michael Hasenblas. So like that's, you know, you, you see these names like pretty often, but Liz Rice, Michael Hasenblas, Andrew Martin are like really good folks to kind of check out follow online, you know, read their books, uh, to kind of get a good understanding of the space. Yeah. Sweet. No, thank you for that. And and I think one more thing I would like to cover towards the t- tail end of our thing is also that, yep. Kubernetes deployment, you kind of have the two splits of deployments. We've kind of learned about how do we protect them? What are some of the components to think about from a security best practice as well? 
for people who may be listening in from a, I guess, who would have had the, the self-hosted one, and the advice over there is to try and move to the managed one, at least from what I hear, the best practice, because most of these best practices that you called out over here should be already covered in by the managed provider. So if it's a GKE version, yeah, so like many of the things of like actually setting up Kubernetes and making sure the cluster itself is secure are taken care of, right? Making sure that applications are secure is is another kind of story. Like that's another layer that doesn't necessarily get uh, done automatically by running it on a managed service. But yeah. the, the really the, the value you're going to get from a managed service is making sure that the Kubernetes cluster itself is secure. So like, and the components itself are secure and you're not going to have issues there. But that said, like, you know, the managed services will also give you a lot more tools and features, like in order to help you secure your app, secure at the application layer. But because you know the application and, you know, the cloud provider doesn't necessarily know the components of your application. You're going to yeah. need to do a, a little bit of work there to make sure that that's that part is secured. Yeah, no, sweet. No, that that, that was pretty interesting, man. I think, and thanks so much for taking the time out for this as well, because I think most of the questions that I had around were, and most of the questions that we get around are these comports as well, where how do you kind of, where do you, where do you even start? Because most people either have walking into, uh, themselves walking into an environment where it's already a self-hosted Kubernetes. And then they're making right. a choice between self-hosted versus managed. They're also making choices between uh, which component should I go for? Should I go for Kubernetes? And I should straight away go for Istio? Should I go for Envoy? Or what am I really going for? Like, there's that confusing. Is is there anything else that's normally you find when you talk to people about Kubernetes security, where people get kind of get are misinformed? I guess that you would call out. Misinformed. Um. I think that like most people, like in general, like from my experience, most people like have a fairly good understanding of a particular area of particular areas, right? The problem is really kind of like what you don't know, right? Like yeah. there's there's quite a lot of difficulty in trying to like understand the entire space, right? Like, and that's what makes it really difficult when you're running it yourself because you need to know everything from like the the like securing linux right like you need to know about linux and the like machines themselves and the operating system making sure that that's patched and all of that stuff and then before you even get to containers and kubernetes right like you need to be like an expert at that right and so like that's that's the problem there is like you need to know essentially everything right like you need to boil the ocean in order to kind of get uh, a really secure kubernetes cluster and i think that if there's any misunderstandings, like the main one is like just a lack of understanding about like how much you actually have to know in order to kind of properly secure a container cluster, right? Like every time you talk to somebody and maybe you mention something like about security, they're gonna be like, oh yeah, I didn't really think about that. Or like, you know, and there's just so many things you have to you have to kind of keep in your head. You have to keep a very broad and and you can't have too focused of a vision. You have to have a, a fairly broad, wide vision when you're trying when you're thinking about it. Uh, there was a question asked: What would my con security concern be if I would? What would my security concern if I decide to go beyond managed Kubernetes services and use something mm -hmm. like TKE Autopilot? Okay. 
Yeah, so like that's a good question. Like GK Autopilot gives you a little bit more of a managed service on top of Kubernetes or like on top of GKE. So it handles a little bit more of the security. Like it, it provides like essentially a kind of policy layer on top of GKE. So it's a little bit like using OPA or a little bit like using kind of a policy engine on top of using GKE. And it gives you like kind of by default, gives you a bunch of really good defaults, right? That it enforces. So like some of the things that I talked about in the security context, right? Like it sets some slightly different defaults there and that are more secure than the normal GKE. And so you actually have a little bit less security concerns, I would say, like if you're using GKE Autopilot, like it's a little bit more of a secure environment, but you still need to think about the networking parts of it, like, and the, excuse me, like making sure that your cluster itself is secure. So like the API server is secure and like that you have the right permissions set up on your API server. So, you know, you don't have, you don't give your, your applications access to the API server, like more than they actually need to run. So like in that case, it, it really, you need to look at like the, and this is a true across all of Kubernetes, but it includes also Apollo pilot as well, but you need to kind of give your applications least privilege when it comes to the permissions that are allowed on the API server. Awesome. And out of context, what is GKE autopilot for people who may not know? What yeah. It is? So that's a good, that's a good uh, thing that I probably should have started with, but GKE autopilot is essentially like a kind of more opinionated GKE. And so it gives you, it sets up some, like some slightly different defaults. So like, as I mentioned, like you get your, the, it has a more strict kind of seccomp policy. So the application can't do, can't do quite as much as you can with a normal, in a normal cluster. From right. a security standpoint, that like, that's the kind of some of the major differences, but it also like kind of removes the, from management's perspective, it removes the, the need to manage the nodes, right? So like a normal GK cluster, you need to like specify a certain number of like nodes and you can set up auto scaling on a GK cluster, but you're essentially paying for the nodes in the GK cluster. Yeah. Uh, and with GK Autopilot, like the nodes are essentially managed for you. And, and so the nodes exist, but they, they're, they're essentially hidden from you. And you essentially only pay for the, the, uh, the resources that are used by the pods in the cluster. And oh, so right, okay. it's a much more kind of, it's kind of a hybrid between GKE and a serverless kind of approach in terms of billing. And so. From that perspective, it's much more, it's much nicer for folks who want to do like kind of scaling that where their applications like scale up and down, like fairly, fairly heavily, or they get a lot of application spikes or things like that. Awesome. All right. Now, thanks for sharing that. And thanks for that question. I think I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, a I'm great question. Up. Yeah. Aristides, I think, but I hope I didn't pronounce your name correctly, man, but thanks for the great question. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. So the, yeah, so going back to well, where can people find you? And I think uh, once they have follow-up questions about this, where can they find you on social media? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. My, my Twitter handle is Ian, just add an M in the middle of yeah. my name. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So people don't get lost. Awesome. Uh, and so that's, that's my Twitter handle. I'm also, I also have a blog on ianlewis.org, which is where my, my blog is. Haven't updated it too much recently, but I hope to do that a little bit more this year. And those are the kind of like the major places to find me. That's good. The, I'll put them in. You can also, you can also email me at ianmlewis at gmail.com, uh, which is my kind of personal email. Um, 
Sounds good. I'll I'll put the links for your website as well there, so people can actually get to get to that and to connect with you. But thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you kind of waking up early for us and kind of spreading the word for community security best practice as well. Thank you so much for doing that. And for everyone else who's listening, I'll see you tomorrow. We have another episode tomorrow, so I'll see you all tomorrow. But thanks so much for doing this, Ian. And I will talk to you soon, and maybe hopefully have you on the show again. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for thanks for doing this podcast. It's really a great podcast and you've had a lot of great past guests as well. So I've really enjoyed uh, kind of looking at your back catalog. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. All right. All right. Talk, talk to you soon. Talk to you soon and talk to everyone. Talk I'll talk to everyone else later on as well. Yeah. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.